brings us to just about perfect, on-time, class-beginning, another edition of Music 101. Hello, Jacob Banks. Mindy Heisel, Music 101, classes in session. This is our J-Term Music 101. <laughs> J-Term. J-Term. <laughs> For people it. who don't know, this is a new feature at Augustana. It probably, this may be our third year of J-Term, but when we reorganize the academic calendar, we have this term called J term, which is three and a half weeks in the in the middle of in the dead of winter. In the dead of winter, yep. <laughs> and rather than taking a whole raft of classes and ensembles and lessons, our students, the college wide, take only one class, and they take this class for three hours a day, five days a week. Now, I have not myself taught on J term yet. Most of the courses I teach are best spread out over a whole semester, but for those who teach it. It's just like heaven on earth for them. They absolutely love being able to connect with their students. And so... Have that level of intensity and one-on-one kind of work. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I've never heard any of them complain, but I always think, wow, if I had a bad section of students, sure would be great to be done with them after three and a half weeks. (laughs) Not at Augustana College, but at, you know, other institutions. So... (laughs) Um, but no, J term's a wonderful, a wonderful time. And, um, and, uh, but that's, this is what we, this is this. So this is the J term music 101. All right. So that means we can like do a, you know. We're here for three hours, Mindy, (laughs) five days a week. Wouldn't your listeners love that? I'm just thinking across radio land, terrestrial oh, radio land. Oh, would be great. We're seeing, yeah, looks of, of I'm not They're sure like, what kind oh, of looks. Man. Mixed shock wow. and horror. Yes. They're like, what? Three Isn't hours? Marketplace on yet? <laughs> right. <sighs> I need my news. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. We'll do it. Well, there'll be a break. We'll put breaks in. <laughs> That's right. We'll give you that little six-minute newscast there. Absolutely. <laughs> Tied you over. <laughs> well, we do have, uh, like you said, it's J term, so it's a little bit more relaxed in one sense, but it also allows you to kind of focus a little more intently on one particular topic. And so that actually works perfectly for us because it's a chance to really talk about Carquinos, uh, your opera with Living Proof Exhibit that yes. was put on hold twice now, but is going forward. Yay. <laughs> yes, I think it, twice or three times. Three times I'm was losing. It? Well, I don't I know. I think uh, let's not split hairs. It's been put on hold several times. And uh the Quad City Symphony commissioned this work as you said in collaboration mm-hmm. with Living Proof Exhibit. Exhibit. For those who, you know, listeners who have never heard of Living Proof Exhibit, uh if you have had cancer or your life's been impacted by cancer, at some point, you need to look up this group. They do so many awesome, amazing, and free things for people. So um, it's uh, it 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 was. I remember Mark Zyla, who's the principal horn and uh, educational coordinator for the symphony, showed up in my office at Augie and said, "Hey, how about an opera?" And I'm like, <laughs> "What? What?" And <clears throat> of course, it's a dream. I mean, every composer. I mean, I I. It's one of those things I sort of operate under where it's like I. I could have a a perfectly fine career as a composer and never write an opera because the opportunities certainly to have like a professionally staged uh, opera with, you know, professional orchestra, they're rare, they're rare opportunities. So of course I jumped at it. But what was really cool about it was I tend to be the kind of composer, you know, there are all different things. You could say there are, there are values in music right like like we like a piece of music to be like like sensually beautiful or we like it to be really well written for the instruments or we like it to be really loud or really grand or very long or super short and pithy right like there are all these values people have about music and the more that i compose 
the one of my leading values as a composer is this might seem very strange uh, that someone would even care about this, but I actually am very concerned that my music is appropriate. Ah. Now those who knows who those who know my behavior in public might be surprised by this. <laughs> Certainly, my kids <clears throat> know me as a master of the inappropriate. But w- what I mean by that is is that it, uh, writing a piece of music that you know Mozart said this once that he's like he likes to write a concerto for a soloist, or it might have been an aria that 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 fits the soloist like a suit of clothes. Right, so that's, he he liked to write appropriately in ways that sort of were apt or they fit the occasion, and one of the really fun things about this was because I had this framework of cancer, it had to be an opera about cancer. It was really fun to write this because you know, as devastating as so many stories that I heard when I talked with cancer survivors and oncologists and oncology nurses and people who had lost loved ones to cancer or who had helped loved ones through battles with cancer, um, very difficult, painful stories. On one hand, on the other hand, it was it, the, to write something appropriate that was suitable to the kinds of profound stories that I was uh, having shared with me. Was was just an incredible joy. Uh, it has been a little nerve wracking. I mean, I was I was sitting at my computer finishing the orchestral parts for Carquinos when I found out that you know, I mean, when the pandemic first broke out, I remember having a conversation with Brian Baxter saying, "Oh, well, the performance is in May, May of 2020." Mm-hmm. Thinking that'll be about be okay. when that's yeah. about when people are going to want to start going back to to performances and. Uh, you know, I've I've said this to you off air, Mindy. I I am not the Nostradamus of the pandemic, so no one should ask me to make predictions about where where the pandemic is going. But I remember in that moment thinking, oh wow, well we might have to postpone. Well, it turns out we did postpone to February. You were right; it's only twice postponed to February of last year. Of last year, yeah, yep. a year ago, thinking that that would be a good time. But you know, with the with the way the pandemic was going last winter, it just turned out to be imprudent to uh, to have the performance. And you know, uh, particularly because singing is obviously a very important part of an opera. You know, th- <laughs> there's your music 101 lesson kind of for right. the day. <laughs> singing a, it's is sort important of a, to know, opera. Yeah. <laughs> So I'd be happy to talk about the the cancer side of it and the cancer survivor part of it, but I also wanted to take an opportunity to talk just a little bit about opera because it occurs to me that it's possible we have listeners who have never attended an opera in person or may have seen them on you know public television, maybe have attended you know a performance of Gilbert and Sullivan operetta. Certainly, almost everyone has been to a musical. So I think there's a little bit of sort of mystification that people have about what is an opera, what's the difference between a musical and an opera. Um, so <laughs> um, people would like to say that, you know, well, opera just means they sing the whole time, right? Well, that's not exactly true. It depends on the genre of opera. Magic Flute, for example, of Mozart, which is a very famous opera, is technically Zingspiel, uh, which is sort of light German opera, and that include it's basically like musical theater. It included long passages of dialogue, so you can't assume when you're going to an opera that it's going to be strictly sung. Uh, however, mine is. I've decided that actually Carquinos would be sung all the way through, um, and one of the reasons I did that is the the setting is kind of a fairy tale world. It's a it's a fantasy story. Uh, the 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 cancer story is told sort of by allegory, mm-hmm. um, so it's not it's not a the, the word cancer is never spoken though. Carquinos, who is the monster, 
Karkinos is Greek for cancer. So, in fact, I remember sitting uh, with Pamela Crouch, who at the time was the executive director of Living Proof Exhibit. And I said, now, could you imagine, so if I go symbolic with this, like, can you imagine an opera that doesn't actually have the word cancer in it? And, and Pamela, who was amazing through the collaborative process, and at almost every turn said, oh, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do. She drew the line there and she said, I don't know how you could. I don't know how you could make this be what we want it to be without using the word cancer. And and I was looking, and, and I love prescriptions like that, proscriptions, because it means I have a particular lesson that, like, I have a particular uh, way to make it appropriate. So rather than saying the word cancer, Carquinos is is the monster um, that that's faced, but so it's set in a fantasy world, and therefore in the fantasy world, it makes a little bit more sense to have people singing the entire time. And a lot of times, people wonder wonder, okay, so an opera, you know, like this one, singing all the way through, why? Because it is a little mystifying, especially if you haven't experienced it. Like it does. I mean, musicals are are weird enough, right? I mean, it's just like. <laughs> You know, Fraulein Maria in the bus. Seem you know, a little unnatural, it's a, it's, it's yeah. a little bit, you know. People seem to find ways to cope with that. But, you know, they get the same question about musicals as you do about operas. But the fact is, in opera, certainly how I wrote mine, the music, I believe, is simply an imitation of our inner life. The sound of music is or the movement of music is the movement of the human soul. So the way we move in the non-physical space that is us is music. It's the same. And so when you have an opera, what you are able to do is go not just generally, but moment by moment through the emotions of a character because it's all music. So, you know, when the empress asks if the royal guests have arrived, you can make the music just so because you know she she might be excited because she might uh you know be glad to see other people attending her coronation or uh she might be hesitant uh, or she might be nervous or jealous and in fact in my case she's a little nervous or jealous when she asks that question and i'm able to take that and put it into the music now any good actor would do that but it with opera you're able to take the emotion and ratchet it up like to 11 mm-hmm. and the you know to, to this is spinal tap of opera right, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. um those any vik listeners who got that reference please write in write in uh let us know but it, turning it mindy knows mindy knows. so it, it basically turning the emotion up to a super high level but the fact is that is so it might seem melodramatic and exaggerated in one sense but in another sense for how you know sort of normal everyone was that I talked to, <laughs> you know, just, they're just moms and dads and, you know, people who work in offices. They were, you know, no celebrities did I interview for this. But what they experienced were epic emotions. You know, I, I one of my favorite, there was an on, oncology nurse uh, who had been, she had been a nurse for 20 years. And she so she had seen people do well with cancer. She'd seen people completely cancer-free. She'd seen people die of cancer. She knew the whole thing. And then she uh, said she she got a, she had been to Kohl's and had bought a bunch of stuff. Probably got a lot of Kohl's cash too. I don't know. She didn't say. <laughs> but she uh, she was out in the car, and then she got the phone call that said you have cancer. And her first reaction 
was that she had to take all the stuff back that she just bought mm. because she was going to die. Ugh, I mean, yeah. it was just, uh, and, and, you know, I don't have any scenes in the Coles parking lot, um, but the emotions experienced there are gargantuan and huge. You know, the then the humor's there too. She she has a really wonderful sense of humor. So, um, <laughs> her it was it was uh, she had a tragic situation. Luckily, turned out well. Where her mom got cancer, and then she also got cancer within a few months. So she and her mom were going through cancer together. And her mom, her mom was just beside herself when she found out. You know, her daughter, the nurse was was you know had cancer <laughs> the, her daughter goes well mom you always said you wished it was you or, or, or you wished it was or, i can't remember how it worked but she had a great line about you know the 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 uh so the, the sense of humor is there too and i've tried to capture that as well that there is a especially after the battle there's uh, uh an incredible peace to people who've been through uh, unbelievable situations. So, well, I love that the dynamic too, obviously between mother and daughter, <clears throat> huge, who are you know know each other so well, and now are going to have to face uh, an epic battle, as you said, together. Yes, and watch each other and root for each other, and at the same time take care of themselves. That family relationship is hugely important in the opera. Not necessarily um, a cancer mother to cancer daughter um, as characters, but there are characters who who's so the whole the and the allegory for cancer is to fight carquinos to fight this invisible monster and um there's a character who who was had reveals you know spoiler alert that that she herself had fought carquinos in the past and that it carquinos had actually killed her father so it was a uh it the the whole idea of uh, families having to learn from each other and go through similar trying experiences is a really important part of the story. So. I think too, what's running through uh, this for me as I'm hearing you talk about this is how tremendously important it is. And I mean, here's the duh factor, but I don't think you could ever say it enough. Is the support? Yes, the support that you receive, um, not only from family members and loved ones and friends. But also, in this case, community support. Absolutely. You know, what what do you get from others whose lives, uh, you know, intersect with yours in this one thread of commonality that, you know, you've experienced it together, people you may never know. Right. But somehow you you form a bond together because you've had these very epic, as you so well describe it, experiences in this battle. No, and that is very much a part of the narrative of the opera. Um, because the main character is an empress, is, or is an empress to be, I would say. It's the night before her coronation, uh, that was where the opera starts. She's Her, their, her father died, a hundred, and in this civilization, 100 days is the mourning period, right? Of course, why not? Course. I gotta make this up, Mindy. Um, so the, morn, the, the time of mourning is over, and you know she's on the eve of her coronation. But who she is when the sun goes down is a very narrowly focused... Um, somewhat haughty but also somewhat self-conscious uh insecure and uh uh uncertain person uh, who's on her own you know it's really her it's really her show and really what happens is over the course of the battle she learns who is around her uh and who's able to help her through the battle 
and she realizes you know she she begins with this sort of obsession with her crown she's got this you know great there's a aria in the first scene about how how much she she's in love with her crown and she can't wait to put it on you know um and it, it ultimately by the end she just says i don't i don't need that anymore she's able to sort of like let go and a lot of that has to do with the relationships uh people that have helped her along the way so so you don't necessarily need the outward materialistic trappings of something absolutely to not be who you are you don't need the crown no. to designate you as an empress it was funny because the so i'm again i don't want to give too much of the of the details of the story away right. but that's exactly the she over the course of the battle her the the monster steals this crown and, you know, it, it had become, as I was writing the libretto, that's the text of the opera. I wrote the text to this crown had become, you know, it's a MacGuffin. I don't know if you know that term from, you know, I've been watching a lot of Hitchcock and, and during the during quarantine. I love, I love. So North by Northwest, you yes. know, the little, the idol with the microfilm in it, which is like, what is this about? It has nothing to do with anything. And that's exactly what the crown is, where it's just this object of obsession, but not that important. And... And you know, at, at some point, you know, he's she she demands it back, and he says, "Well, you don't you don't need that. I I'll only take what you don't need because there's no way you're surviving to your coronation." And ultimately, sort of at the climax of the opera, she she says, "You know what, Carquino? She's like, you were right. You can keep the crown because I'm already an empress. I don't need." You know, it was just, and and it's funny. You know, my own family, my wife actually has. Uh, she had thyroid cancer so you know that we have had our own sort of bout with that but that was far less scary than uh, another medical issue she faced she she has multiple sclerosis too uh it, it, that is more recent than the cancer but i told her about this moment that i was thinking about where i was like you know so she's been obsessed about this crown and then like all of a sudden she realizes like she, she's and kara just looked at me and she didn't even need any explanation she's like Nobody cares about that stuff. Like you really, you don't need that stuff. Like she, she totally knew what I was getting at. Yes, which is just like whatever blinders you had on that told you what was really important. The adversity, as horrible as it is, which you wouldn't wish on anybody, has a way of clarifying what's actually important. So, well, in those moments when your world is completely turned upside down, uh, like you were describing for. The nurse who had just gone to Kohl's. I mean, hmm. who of us doesn't do this right. and come out with our shopping bags and can't wait to get home and unload the stuff? And right. then I, I totally can identify with what she thought in yeah. that moment. I think there's many people that would suddenly uh, leap to that worst case scenario of thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to return all this stuff because I'm not going to be around to even use it wow. when there's so many shades of where you are now from what will be but that is such human nature i think whenever i read stephen king's non-fiction work many years ago he wrote one huh. uh that he he talks very specifically about uh people's obsession with obviously horror movies and the emotions of terror and yeah. fear and what that means and it was really quite a, an entertaining read i'm sure and he broke it down to that basically you know people struggle uh human beings struggle with what we would label fear in in three very distinct levels hmm. which terror being the the ultimate one because there is no 
no defined monster. We just know that we are afraid. Wow. And the, the mind will immediately struggle to grasp with the terror of yeah. something. Yeah. The second level would be horror. You know, terror would be knowing that there's something terrible on the other side of a door that's bulging and that you're hearing a lot of terrible yeah. noises coming yes. from, but yes. you don't know what's behind there. That's terror. Wow. Horror would be opening the door and coming face to face with it. Wow. And he was commenting on the remarkable ability of human beings to suddenly in that moment go, oh, wow, it's a hundred foot bug, the kind of which I've never seen. I was worried it was a thousand foot. You know? <laughs> and, and that it's that part of humanity that helps us rise to these occasions yeah. and sort of work through things. So so we have to be able to move from terror down to the next, you know, level, which yeah. is horror. Yeah. Because even though we're horrified by something, we now know what the monster is. Yeah. And we already begin to formulate plans for fighting. Wow, that's yeah, so isn't cool. That... I will have to go back and read that because it sounds totally related. I mean, the really the most horrible part of the, terrifying, if you will, the, the worst part of the opera is the analogy of the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. You know, the, 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 when it's announced to the empress that this monster is coming. And that is really, musically, I poured, it's just the weirdest music. And her immediate reaction is by far the weirdest music of the whole thing. There's plenty of weird music, I, although I, I'm not billing it very well. There's lots of beautiful music too, but you know it is about a monster, so there's plenty of 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 uh, you know terror and horror as you describe it. But you know that is by far the the worst. And in fact, many many cancer survivors will tell you this: that the diagnosis. There's nothing more horrible. You don't fall to your knees nearly as much as when you first hear then that, that it's moment. Cancer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So that fits in with that fits in with uh, um, the description you you gave. Yeah, I want to I want to give a couple shout outs or just an explanation. I mean, absolutely. The, the, just to explain a little bit about what's going to go into the production because it has, things have evolved <laughs> considerably. <laughs> I mean, this is what happens. You know, you have like things that are going to be a certain way and then, you know, a pandemic happens, you know, it's, it's walking along. It's just what happens. Well, and as you were talking about, an opera is a big deal. There is a lot of production elements to this. It isn't just, you know, getting your orchestra out stage and your conductor. Right. I mean, these are big deals too, honestly. Yes. Getting your soloist there on time. Th this is multiplied a little bit exponentially. A little bit. <laughs> So what what the what I'm very happy about is that you know like a good wine the whole I, the whole concept aged I think extremely well. Um, so we we had booked a stage director early on who is very talented person and you know I think I think she would have done a really wonderful job. The pandemic I think had her thinking in different directions and so she's no longer no longer stage directing. Oh, okay. Um which which I think she'll thrive whatever she does. She's a brilliant person. But it, we had to find someone to do the stage direction. It just can't be sort of faked. Well, it turns out my wonderful colleague here at Augustana, Shelley Cooper, who runs the musical theater department, um we en enlisted her and she has been unbelievable absolutely amazing with her idea she's brought you know the so the staging it won't be an extensive staging we don't have you know the millions of dollars you need to sort of get the rotating stage and the you know the 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 light the thousands of lights you know and all that but but it what she has done her production concept is so sensitive to the material 
Um, and then the costumes are being designed and uh, altered and, and rented, sewn together, created by Ellen Dixon, who is also now retired, but a colleague from Augustana who worked in the costume shop, a uh, powerful cancer survivor herself. She has, she has faced incredible odds. Uh, so, so there's her. And then we were actually able to add a choreographic component. So I, I, am, uh, I have collaborated before with Kristen Mars, who is a choreographer. Uh, she's on the faculty of University of Iowa. And we were able to have her come and bring three dancers with her. Uh, oh, so there will be a ballet, ballet you know, depiction of those. So the monster is now not just hidden, but is actually – there's it's just this balletic component, which is – I mean, I, I got to tell you, when I see, the, I went to rehearsal once, but she'd send me videos, and it was mind blowing what these because three dancers and and what they are doing is uh, just so visually uh, visually incredible. Yes. Like it was just one of those things where it was like, wow, and you know, it's not easy music to choreograph. So Kristen has been so, and Kristen and Shelley turned out. Who knew they were they got along extremely well. So you take all that magic that's happening there and you combine that with, you know, Mark Russell Smith, who's just a phenomenal conductor. And people may not know this, but he is his opera is one of his specialties. He's he's extremely gifted conductor and interpreter of opera. We haven't seen we've seen some operatic things here, mm-hmm. uh, you know, act from uh, Valkyra and different things from Rosencavalier. But Mark really knows what he's doing with opera. So we've got him and then we've got this chamber orchestra of 15 musicians from the from the QCSO, who, you know, just wonderful players, wonderful people. So it's going to be you know, this is February 12th of this year, uh Saturday, it, it is just going to be um it's going to be amazing. I, I, I uh, you know, knock on wood, of course, you know, and at this point it gets postponed. It's like what whatever, you know, it's I'm not in charge of the weather, so um, but it will be it, if you want an opportunity to see a collaboration of all of the arts, basically uh, all tied around this theme of of uh, the struggle and glory that is uh, cancer. Then um, uh, check it out. Well, and as you mentioned, I mean, there's very few ways that are as successful at communicating the depth and breadth and scope of human experience and emotion more than an opera. I mean, and when you started talking about this, it it just made me think of so many composers that we look back on today going, okay, well, they were one of the greats like Beethoven, you know, his whole idea of himself I, I mean he had he had a pretty strong self-image a little, I mean, little bit, he, he was pretty confident yeah, guy kind of, exactly that's that's putting it nicely yeah, I don't right. <laughs> he wasn't wrong he but wasn't he wrong was a jerk. it, it, yes, didn't, it didn't endear him to no, many exactly. many people <laughs> but, but the one thing that he lacked and that he knew he lacked and that bothered him was the fact that he had not written an opera right and when he did it went. <laughs> you know, it was. It was not a big success, and again, not surprisingly, the music is what has endured more than the staging it's of true. the opera itself. Now that said, I think that speaks uh, degrees to how composers feel about writing a, a, an enormous catalog of works, as you have done, chamber pieces, choral works, uh, symphonic works, works for concert band. And that would always 
definitely, I could see how that would also still be there. Right. As, you know, I would love to write an opera someday, but as you mentioned, the the opportunities to do so are somewhat limited, especially right. today. Well, and I think with Beethoven, you, it's such a good example, because I do have a soft spot in my heart for Fidelio. That's I the opera know, we're talking right? about. It is yes. just like, so I don't <laughs> do you know. Not? It's I know. Just, you know, the, 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 it has its incredible moments. But, I mean, I'm going to make a controversial statement. My my speech about writing something that's apt or appropriate, uh, I don't know that that was one of Beethoven's main values. And I think that might have been why he struggled with the opera, because you have singers that have to have their suit of clothes tailored just to exactly. them. right. And I right. just think he was so visionary and and... Um, you know, Rossini, Rossini, it was like, they used to talk about this time as being the age of Beethoven and Rossini. Like, they were seen as equals in some way, and yet also opposites, because Rossini was, he was the company composer. I mean, to talk about appropriate, I mean, he just, he worked in this hot house, and it was always in front of the public, and it was very not idealistic. It was just business. It was like Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah. you know, that's why he succeeded, in, you know, where maybe Beethoven didn't. Oh, you know, this would be super fun to... to See, this is J-Term. Right? This, this is, is J-Term, J-term. <laughs> right now. And there's so much more we could have gone into, too. Like, you could have explained to us the difference between opera buffa and verissimo. And, oh, you know, it, it, opera don't isn't just, me. <laughs> I know, opera isn't just opera. There's several levels oh, on that. And, and, you know, someday it would be fun to do a, a little bit deeper look into Let's that do it. as well. Summer deep dive. There Let's you do go. It. Let's do it. All right. Well, Carquinos, uh, tickets are, I think, available right now at uh, qcso.org. Yep. So let's plan for it February 12th. And uh, I can't believe, at the time, always flies when you're here, Jacob, and it's so much fun to hear you talk about this. I'm super excited to see Carquinho, so we're going to go forward that this is Absolutely. A Fingers thing. crossed. That's good. <laughs> Thank you, Mindy. Always a pleasure. And we'll see Jacob next month, and I'll see you again tomorrow. Join me at 1210. Marketplace is next on WVIK.